for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. Don't base your truth on your feelings because according to the word of God, your feelings will deceive you. David's feelings deceived him. He felt like he wanted her. He felt like he wanted to lay with her. He felt like he needed to cover up his misdeeds. All of these things leading from one sin to the next sin to the next sin. And the only thing he should have felt was righteousness. But he didn't have the ability to. And the reason he didn't have the ability to is because he wasn't paying attention to the Spirit that God placed over his life. John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. I'm going to read some texts to you. First, let me talk to you about our two natures. Our flesh nature and our spirit nature are at conflict, or the Spirit of God within us is at conflict with one another. In Romans chapter 7, it reads like this. Starting in verse 14. And I love, I love 7 because it lets me know that I ain't the only one struggling. Paul struggled too. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. Sold in, I, or sold into bondage to sin. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. He's saying, I'm not doing the stuff I would like to do. Any of y'all ever been there? But I am doing the very thing I hate. Man, I'm sinning and I hate doing it. But here I find myself doing it anyway. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. But now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me, provoked by the heart. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Amen? None, nothing good in our flesh dwells in us. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not. But I practice the very evil that I do want to do. Can somebody say Amen. Our two natures are in conflict with one another. I, I'm a grown man with grown man feelings, grown man frustrations, grown man's responsibilities, and sometimes my flesh wants to get away, get in the way of what my spirit knows it should be doing. And can I confess to you, sometimes it's successful. But praise God, he gave his spirit to us so that we could be empowered to walk in righteousness. Otherwise, according to Hebrews 10, 7, we would, we would face the expectation of judgment. According to Mark 16, 16, he who is disbelieved, we should be condemned. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, he is to be accursed. If it weren't for the Spirit of God in our life, that's exactly what we would be. We would be expectant of judgment, we would be condemned, and we would be accursed. By nature, deserving the wrath of God. 
But God didn't give us that. He gave us a solution instead. He gave us a solution in Christ Jesus. And because we belong to Christ Jesus, he poured his spirit into us. We have been empowered to walk in righteousness. Even when it's hard. We've been empowered to walk in righteousness. Romans 8, 5 through 10. I love this text. I hope that you do too. As many of you know, I think Romans 8, I think the, the Bible is the is the is the crown. It's beautiful. It's beauty. But Romans chapter 8 is the crown jewel in the crown. I think it's the most beautiful of the most beautiful texts. And he says this in 5 through 10. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. How many of y'all want life and peace? Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. Get a hold of that. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Did you know you'd have no chance if it weren't for the Spirit of God in you? And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, I love a good however, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Two kind of people in the world, I've told you this before, those who live according to the Spirit and have life and those who live according to the flesh and have death. You can divide us up however you want to by politics, by skin color, by amount of money. At the end of it all, there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those that are living according to the flesh and will see eternal life, not death, and those who don't have the Spirit of God and will see death and death ultimately. And, and unlimited. If Christ is in you, though, the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. What am I trying to tell you? That we, just like David, are in a place where we need a new heart. We need God to show out on our behalf. Otherwise, We'd be ruined. There isn't enough discipline, which means we have to dwell in the spirit. We have to pursue spiritual things. We have to pursue righteousness by the empowerment of the spirit. By the empowerment of the spirit, not by the empowerment of your discipline. Can I say that louder? By the power of your discipline. I'm going to tell you this. There is no discipline in you great enough to cause you to not go to hell. I'm going to read my Bible more. You're not even going to want to read your Bible, much less understand it, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you. I'm going to pray more. Well, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, why would you pray? And who are you praying to expecting to receive an answer except for prayer of salvation? All these disciplines that we have, we say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do more of this. I'm going to do more of this. I'm going to... Can you just chase after God? And allow the spirit of God, the spirit of righteousness to dwell in you and allow him to motivate you to the righteousness you seek. Now, will that create disciplines in you? Yes, but don't get it in the wrong order. It's not disciplines and then the spirit. It's the spirit and then the disciplines. Otherwise, it's a works-based faith and who needs it? You might as well be Muslim. You know, Muslims at the end of their life, according to the false theology that they have, that if you do one million things wrong, 
but you do one million and one things right, you get to go to heaven? Could you imagine having to keep the tab of that? Right, I'd, I'd be all, I'd be in that book all the time going, wrong, 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 chick, 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 good, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. I'd be scared to death. There's no assurance in that. There's no joy in that. There's no love in that. There's no, there's nothing worth grabbing a hold of in that. But by the Spirit of God, we belong to Him or we don't. And that's what David understood when he asked God, I need your Spirit. Don't remove your Spirit from me. I need a new heart. And God said He would do it in Ezekiel. Chapter 36. A lot of you guys have heard this text before, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. This is God speaking, and I want you to pay attention to the I will statements. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, so that's the first half of the psalm, right? He's cleaning him. He says, I will. And then he says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. How do I get the heart that I need? By the spirit that God places in me. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart or from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. He'll cause you to. You know why? Because you've empowered. You've been empowered and motivated by the spirit of God to chase after God. Y'all remember the first time you got saved? Or the first day when you were saved or whatever? I guess I shouldn't have said it that way, but uh, maybe the day you got re-saved, you know, or Whatever. Do y'all remember that day, how exciting it was, how you desired to tell people, how you wanted to open up your Bible, how you couldn't stop praying, and somehow we've slowed that down. But he says, according to his spirit, when we will sh allow him to shuck the corn, that he will cause us to walk in his statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Isn't that beautiful? We need a new heart. Because with a new heart comes a new spirit. With a new spirit comes new motivation to chase. And when we become his people, it doesn't say he'll be God. Because God was God before he was my God. He says, and I will be your God. At some point in your life, you weren't folded in. He was just a God that the unknown God Paul talked about on Marzil. But he didn't say, I'll be God. He said, I will be your God. I will be your father. I will pay attention to you. I will hear the cries of your pain, the joy of your laughter. I will comfort you in your moments of disturbance or lack of peace. That's what my God does because he's my dad and he loves me. Amen? And he loves you the same if, in fact, he is your God. That's good stuff right there. So David asked him three things. Create a pure heart in me. 
Do not cast me away. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And restore the joy of my salvation. How does salvation bring joy to the believer? First off, why didn't he have joy? Because he had been separated from God by his sin. How does salvation bring us joy? I've written down three things here, four things. Nope, three. Salvation brings joy to the believer because it gives us a sense of pardon. We've been pardoned from our sin. We've been justified. God said, I'm not holding that against you anymore. God forgave David. Back in the text I read you when Nathan's talking to him, apparently there was an immediate response of repentance in him, in David. Because Nathan, before he stopped talking to him, said, God has forgiven you. He wrote this after. The conversation with Nathan snatched him into reality and made him realize the depth and depravity of his sin. And the moment he realized that he was pardoned, I guarantee he had peace that he didn't have when he realized that he was in sin. He had joy in the fact that God cared enough about him that no matter how heinous, how horrible his sin was, God, God was done with it. That's what I love about God. When God says he's done with it, he's done with it. I used to tell my girls back in the day when they were little, I would, I would have this whole conversation with them anytime they got a paddle, and they probably only got two or three their whole life. Probably, right? And they were honestly weak because I'm a big softy like that. But I told them, because little girls are sensitive. Little boys are sensitive too. And I'd call them in my office, which there was only one place for discipline to happen. It was our office. It was my office. I wanted to make sure that, I don't know, I just felt like it needed to be a place for discipline to happen. Um, and so they would come in. I would explain to them what they'd done wrong, explain to them what was going to happen and why. And then I would tell them after, we're not talking about this anymore. My job is to end it. This is what I would tell them. My job is to model Jesus to you. And when you've repented, when you've asked forgiveness, when the punishment has been dealt, Jesus doesn't bring up your past stuff. Just don't do that past stuff again, or it'll have to be dealt with again. Shouldn't that bring us peace? That God says, I'm done with that. You're not an addict. You're not whatever it is, some label, craziness somebody put on you. The enemy wants to call you by your sin. God wants to call you by your name, his name. The world will say, you're an alcoholic. You're an adulterer. You're a drunkard. You're whatever. They, they want to label you. God just wants to give you the name he gave you, which is his. And that should bring us joy. That brings us joy in our salvation. Not only a sense of pardon, but a sense of reconciliation, which is how that pardon happens in the first place. Jesus Christ died to reconcile us. Amen? To bring us back into relationship with him. And knowing that I have a God 
that wants to be in relationship with me, the creator of the universe desires to know me. Does it? Well, let me take that back. That I desire to know him. He already knows me. Every intimate detail and cares about every intimate detail. And finally, I have joy and salvation because I have peace. I have peace because I'm no longer a partaker of God's wrath. My circumstances don't dictate my situation anymore. Isn't that good? I don't care who you are. Your circumstance doesn't dictate your relationship with God. Because your relationship isn't based on your circumstance. It's based on Jesus. Let the joy of your salvation bring you peace and joy. Because that's what David did. But let me tell you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up pretty quick. I've made the major points I want to make. He needed a new heart available only by the acceptance of, or only through repentance. Today we get that new heart through Christ Jesus. It's the only way. I am the only way. He is the gatekeeper. He's, he's the only possibility between us and an eternity with God. And he lovingly gave of himself. Had a plan for us before we were born. And even as we were being formed in our mother's womb, had that plan for us. What do you do with that kind of love? What do you do with that kind of forgiveness? That kind of new heart? Let me tell you what David did. David says, Restore me to the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit, and I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will be converted. You guys hear me all the time. And I've had people call me a legalist. Man, you're a works-based faith guy. I'm not. But I do serve an if-then God. If God forgives me, then I should tell other people about that forgiveness he offered me so that they might be saved too. Amen? And so that's what David's saying. Listen, because you've done this for me, I'm going to tell everybody about how awesome you are. I told you it's his salvation purposed for one intent. It has one purpose, and that is to glorify him. When Moses was making intercession on behalf of the Israelites, I can't remember the address right now, he's, he says, "What are, are you going to have people talk negatively about you? I'm summarizing horribly. But he says that you brought your people out here to the desert just to kill them? And it said God relented because he's more worried about his glory than killing them. More worried about his own reputation than he is us. And rightfully so. He's God. That's not arrogant. He's God. He has a right to concern himself with his reputation over us. Because without his reputation and who he is, there would be no us. So commit with me to not only live in repentance, Walk in the Spirit so that you can put on display that new heart that you have. But through that display, take, seize a hold of every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. 
so that they too will be converted. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, this, this murder that I've committed. He was guilty of shedding blood. O oh God, the God of my salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Tell other people, and I'm going to fill my mouth with how awesome you are. Amen. And then he starts talking stuff about sacrifices. It says, for you do not delight in sacrifices, otherwise I would give it. Do you think God delights in sacrifice? He does. I know that sounds absolutely contrary to what it says right here. But if he didn't delight in sacrifices, then in verse 19, David wouldn't say, I'll, then I'll offer sacrifice. What is David saying? David's saying, more than sacrifice, you desire a broken heart. I know that you don't want my sacrifice until you have me. But once you have me, I'll sacrifice everything I am. And that's our responsibility to repentance, to ask God to forgive us, to walk in the authority and the power and the spirit that we've been given, teach others about him while singing the praises of him ourselves. And then once that contrite spirit has worked its way to wholeness, but still walking in humility, offer him the sacrifice that really matters which is the sacrifice of your own life. Amen? All right.